Cool. Well, guys, uh, we heard uh, Doomy reading Psalm 15 earlier on. And, you know, it starts with, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or the mountain of the Lord? I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to climb up here into this pulpit. Pretty much feels like Psalm 15. Eh? <laughs> Standing up here like on a scaffolding, like Ezra, you know, preaching to the people. <laughs> It's great to be with you. It's so wonderful. I really, really enjoyed the singing today. I've enjoyed every aspect of being here. Warm welcome. What a joy it is to see the hand of God at work. I'm so encouraged. What a blessing it's been. Thank you guys for all the effort that you've put in here. Teamwork, community work. What a joy. Nice spirit in this church. Um, what What a blessing it is to be here. I'm so encouraged and of course... Where I come from, I'm going to go back again. I'm going to tell everybody who I saw, and I'm going to send greetings from this church to our church. As long as you smile, then I'll take that as a communication. All right, this church sends greetings to Living Hope. <laughs> so we, I bring, I bring, bring greetings from our church as well, from Living Hope, and we are so excited about what the what the Lord is doing here today. I have. Um, a sermon to preach that I already preached at Living Hope, but um, this sermon is one of those texts, one of those mysterious texts in the book of Isaiah that speaks about the servant of Jehovah. This is one of the one of the texts that is known as the servant songs, the servant songs, the servant of Jehovah. And it's interesting that in the in the book of Isaiah, there's this. There's the series of mentions of the servant of Jehovah. And it's funny how when you read through Isaiah, the servant of Jehovah, when you see the description of the servant of Jehovah, he's a servant, he's called the servant of Jehovah, but he fails and fails and fails and fails. And that, that is quite surprising because you expect somebody who is called the servant of Jehovah to be a great success, don't you? But throughout the book, you see him failing and failing and failing, kind of like me and you. Hey? You know, the way we feel like failures a lot of the time, we feel like we haven't accomplished much. feels like we haven't been anywhere and we haven't really ever done anything for God. We can't be called the servant of Jehovah in any way. But strangely enough, throughout all of these mentions of the servant of Jehovah in Isaiah, suddenly in one chapter you find the servant of Jehovah succeeding. And then in the next chapter, you see the servant of Jehovah succeeding. So four songs, four specific songs about the servant of Jehovah where he succeeds, but then in the rest of Isaiah, the whole book, the servant of Jehovah fails. And that's, that's remarkable because uh, as you read further, you'll notice that there's something special about these particular four songs where the servant of Jehovah succeeds, and it is because the servant of Jehovah there is one person. It's one man. And in all of the other places, the servant of Jehovah is referring to a whole nation, the nation of Israel. And that helps you to understand the servant songs, doesn't it? Because they're speaking about, God is speaking about how his servant Israel has failed and failed and failed and failed at her mission. And then suddenly this one man appears on the scene and God calls this one man the servant of Jehovah and that servant succeeds. 
He succeeds where the whole nation of Israel failed. Now that's hopeful. Eh? That's a very hopeful text to look at because as you look at yourself and your own failure, maybe you're going to see some things in the servant of Jehovah that you see in your own life. And I'm trusting that today this is going to be a, a very big encouragement to you. It's going to be something that helps you in the ordinary moments of your days where you feel like I've accomplished nothing. Really, my life is a waste. What have I ever done that is significant? What legacy am I going to leave for my children and, and generations that come after me? I don't know about you, but I, I think about those kind of things. You know, I think about, has my life been a waste? And you might think as well, my life has actually been pointless. So let's have a look. These are, these are special thoughts. These are very special and personal thoughts because here you get an insight, you get a window into the very in, inner thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great servant of Jehovah. Prophesied approximately 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was even born. We, we hear something of the thoughts in the mind of the coming Messiah. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 49. And just the first four verses, I'm going to, I'm going to try and deliver this message shorter than I normally speak. Because I know we like to keep it a bit shorter here. And I can, go, I can go overboard, guys, so just throw a shoe if I'm going overboard, okay? <laughs> Alright, so as we look at Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 4, let me just read these verses, and then we just go through a couple of thoughts that describe the inner thoughts of this man, the servant of Jehovah. I'm reading from the NIV, where he says in verse 1, Listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, He has made mention of my name. He has made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of His hand, He hid me. He has made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in His quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet, what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. So a number of things about this servant. And already, as you read the psalm, suddenly you can realize that there's some similarity in this servant's life to the things that you see in your own life. Eh? Firstly, we notice that this servant has been called. He's called by Jehovah. Before he was born, Jehovah called him. What an amazing reality. So immediately, as this text begins, God has called a servant. And you'll notice that just before the call, there in that verse, he says in verse 1, the, the, yeah, I guess you could call it verse 1a, if we divide verse 1 up into three sections, he says, Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. I've called my servant. This is a big event. This is a big person that God is presenting before us. So in Israel, you think of all of the islands, for example, in the Mediterranean Sea. You know, from Israel, you think of all of the distant places that the people in Israel would travel to on their ships. And it's as if God... Jehovah is saying, everybody, listen up. Almost like Donovan when everybody's outside and says, okay, come in and take your seats in the service here. 
You know, God is saying to everybody, wake up, wake up, wake up. Something significant is happening here. Look, I've called my servant. My, the servant of Jehovah is coming upon the scene. So, of course, we're supposed to look at the servant and say, what is special about this? Why, why should we think that this one man is special? This one servant is special. He's special because God has called him particularly. God has given him a purpose. Before his birth, God has given him a purpose. And you might think, well, that's good for him. It's good for the servant that he has a purpose. But do I have a purpose? Do I have a specific, special purpose in my life? Well, let's have a look. Let's see what the servant's experience was. So the text says, before I was born, the Lord called me. The, the next part of the verse says, from my birth, he has made mention of my name. From the time he's born, God has been speaking about him and he's given him a name. I know in Africa, it's, it's typical, you know, for your name to have a meaning. You know, white folk miss out on that a lot because you just call somebody by a name that sounds nice. But often, as you know, in, in an African culture, Zanele, you know what I mean? Why do you call this child Zanele, for example? You know, it has a specific meaning, you know, Sibusisu. Why do we call somebody that? It has a specific meaning, doesn't it? And it means something to the parents. So to God, as he sends his servant into the world, he names him. He gives him a specific name. It's very personal. And this name associates him with God. As he walks around, people must look at him and say, this man, this servant is associated with God, with Jehovah. And suddenly it starts taking a bit of shape in your own life, doesn't it? Do people look at me and say, this man is associated with God. This man is associated with Jehovah. I can see because God has named him. God has called him. I can see by the way he lives that he's associated with God. Well, with the servant of Jehovah, that was very clear. That God had called him and God had named him. Now, the next thing about the servant that we notice is in verse 2. And verse 2 has... It's got uh, lines that are sort of interspersed. You've got an A line and a B line, then you've got an A line and a B line in verse 2. So in verse 2, there's two lines that have to do with his preparation. He was prepared. And then there's two lines in that verse that show that he was hidden. He was prepared and he was hidden at the same time. And now that might sound like a small little thing to us, but it's actually a big thing as you think about it in your own life, if you are prepared but hidden at the same time. It's, it doesn't seem right, does it? Now, let me, let me just elaborate on that a little bit. Verse 2 says, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And then the third line in that verse says, He made me into a polished arrow. So God has prepared, He's, he's carefully preparing His servant for a specific purpose-driven driven mission. And he's sending him into the world. He knows exactly what he's going to do, doesn't he? Jesus doesn't just come into this world and wander around and wonder what his purpose is. He's been called, he's been named, and he's been prepared. Now, what he's saying here, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. Obviously, Jesus wasn't walking around, you know, with his mouth looking like a sword. You know, we're speaking metaphorically, aren't we? We're speaking about the way in which a sword cuts... So the words that come out of his mouth can cut. Like Hebrews 4.12, you remember the word of God is like a double-edged sword. And it's able to cut on both sides and it pierces right into the very intimate parts of who you are. 
And it's wonderful when the Word of God does that, isn't it? It's a beautiful kind of pain when the Word of God cuts into your heart and, and helps you to see your own sin and helps you to desire what God wants you to desire so that you can walk around like the servant of Jehovah and people can look at you and say, this person, like the apostles, has been with Jesus. This person is set apart for God. This person has purpose in his life. He could be called a servant of Jehovah. What a wonderful title to own in this world. Eh? So he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. And obviously I don't know anything about sharpening swords. So what do we do? We go to YouTube, you know, go and Google like sharpening swords. So my expertise that I'm going to share with you this morning is, is Google, like YouTube expertise. It's not, I'm not very clever in this stuff. But I discovered that one of these fanatics who was sharpening swords, he said that one mistake we make in our modern age is to think that in ancient times, all of the swords were like complex, highly polished, shiny, very sharp swords. He was saying that most of the swords were pretty much like our pangas, you know, or machetes that we use today. It was a pretty crude sort of casting, and it was roughly sharp, but it definitely wasn't the sort of thing you could slice paper with. You know, it wasn't a refined thing. So he says that if you found somebody in a battle, if you encountered somebody in a battle who had a polished sword that was sharpened, you were in trouble. Because this guy... He'd had enough experience with this sword. He hadn't lost the sword over a period of time. And he'd put a lot of effort into polishing that sword. Layer after layer after layer after layer of grinding it down and polishing, grinding, polishing, grinding, polishing. And not the whole sword, but little piece at a time. You take one little piece and you polish it. And it takes so long that the next day you come back, you sit down, you polish another little piece. So when you encounter somebody in battle who has a sharpened sword and a polished sword, you're in trouble because this guy, he loves his sword. This thing is dear to him. It's a special piece of armor, a special weapon. So when God says, uh, the, the, when the son, the, the servant of Jehovah says, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword, we're talking about something personal. We're talking about something that is personal to God. And when, when somebody encounters this man, the servant of Jehovah in a crowd, it's almost like, whoa, you want to step back and say, this is different. This is not just a hack who comes in with this panga in the battle swinging like a hooligan. This is a guy who's highly specialized. This guy's very skilled. This guy's very dangerous. This guy's purpose driven. You can, you can get what I'm saying. And then he says, he made me into a polished arrow. The same, same concept, two parallel swords. A sharpened sword, a polished arrow. Something that is a gleaming tip. A very highly refined tip. So when you see the servant of Jehovah, isn't it wonderful that God prepares him like this? You can almost imagine if you just you know, close your eyes and use your sanctified imagination. You can imagine God the Father sitting with his sword and polishing and polishing and polishing long into the night when everybody else is sleeping and his fingers are sore and you know he's using this special uh, uh, polishing stone and then he's using a, a grit you know a rough grit sandpaper and then he's using a finer sandpaper and all the way down to the the rubbing compound and the burnishing compound and the, the steel polish you can imagine god looking at the sword and ah just right just right until, until this, this weapon is perfectly prepared. That, that's amazing. 
how God prepares his servant. What was this preparation like for the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the Son of God. He comes into this world. He comes into the world as a man. It's God becoming man. Sharpening, sharpening, sharpening. God becoming man. What an experience for the servant of Jehovah. I mean, we, we can't even comprehend what that change was like for God to become man. And he comes into this world. And into this world, you know, of all of the places in the universe, God places him on planet Earth, this tiny little speck of cosmic dust. And inside of this world, God places him in the Middle East of all of the places on the planet where God could have put him. Out of all of the continents, God places him in that little place. Out of the whole Middle East, God places him in Israel. And in Israel, God puts him there at a time in the world where there's almost zero technology. I mean, you can't even WhatsApp. Jesus is here on a WhatsApp group and then everyone knows. You know, you can't Google, is Jesus here? You know, has Jesus sightings? You know, there's, there's no way for news to travel quickly. Somebody's got to run with the news or get on a horse and start telling other people. And then, you know, with a broken telephone, how the news changes and changes all the time. Isn't it amazing that God sends his highly specialized servant into the world where there's almost zero technology? Communication is so, so slow. I mean, you and I, if we think, okay, God's going to send this messenger into the world. And he wants him to be highly effective. So why not send him like now? You know, when you can just click a button, you can just put a post on Facebook and boom, the healer is here. And everybody just comes and crowds him out because he will heal everybody that comes to him. Why didn't God just do that? No, God chooses to refine and shape his servant in this obscure place. And not only that, but he's born into a poor family. He's not Elon Musk, you know, with billions of dollars that he can establish, you know, a big community center and have people in here all the time while he's preaching and preaching and preaching the gospel. No big, no big organization or business. Nothing fancy. He's a poor, unknown family. He lives in 30 years without anybody knowing him. Year after year after year, growing from infancy all the way through to his adulthood. And nobody knows who he is. Even his brothers that live with him in the house, they don't even know he's the servant of Jehovah. While God is preparing him. As he comes into his public ministry, two and a half years of public ministry, God sends him 12 uneducated men who just don't know what he's talking about half the time. And he's... How long have I been with you? And you still don't understand. And then he's, he's the polished arrow. He's the sharpened sword. And, and it just doesn't seem like this is very spectacular. But God is preparing him and preparing him and preparing him. And as he spends those years with those 12 uneducated, uneducated men, it's not long before opposition begins to grow up against him. And eventually, all of those people that came to know him and love him turn against him. And it just seems like this preparation is, is going nowhere. So he's called, he's named, 
and is prepared specifically. But notice he's also hidden. In the second and third, the first and third parts of that, no, hold on, the second and fourth parts of that verse, in the shadow of his hand he hid me, and he concealed me in his quiver. So God is sharpening, 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 preparing, 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 but Jesus is unknown. The servant of Jehovah is unknown. He's hidden. One of the guys I absolutely love and you know, my love for these servant songs comes from a set of sermons I heard preached by a guy named Stephen Rees. He's a British guy. If you find you won't find them online, I don't think. I got them by special order from the guy who recorded them and he actually lost his laptop. His laptop was destroyed and he managed to find those recordings, recover them off the hard drive. So I was like, whew, man, I'm so grateful that those were preserved. So if you want these sermons, I can share them with you, but you won't find them anywhere else on the internet. But Stephen Rees, he spoke about this and he said, you know what the problem is? That there's many young preachers in our world today who are thinking to themselves, you know what? I have such gift, I have such skill, I have such talent that my skill should be shown on a big stage. (laughs) And then he says, and look at the servant of Jehovah. He's been called by God. He's been named by God. He has been prepared by God. Imagine having God as your mentor. (laughs) And then you, you, you know where you go after that. Nowhere. Just go out into the nothing, you know. No impact. 30 years, just nobody even knows who he is. Just your average guy walking around in Israel. Nobody knows he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. As a little baby, growing, sharpening, preparing, as a little child, all of the interactions with his mom and his dad, growing, sharpening, being prepared for the day when he sees little children and he remembers what it's like to be a little child. He says, let the little children come to me. He's not this big guy who's too important to look at the little kids. In his family, living with his unbelieving brothers, being sharpened, being polished, but being hidden. In his village school, dealing with other kids, and none of them were as well behaved as he was, obviously. So he has to deal with other people's monster kids at school, and he's learning how to deal with the opposition in this world. God becoming man, having to be insulted by other kids at school. And he never has to say, do you have any idea who I am? I'm the servant of Jehovah. How dare you speak to me like that? He just carries on being humble, being prepared being sharpened, but being hidden. In the synagogue, listening to the word of God and loving it, wandering in the fields of Galilee, learning about the birds and the grass and how wheat grows, and looking at the sky and interpreting the weather, all of these things that you see in Jesus, telling his parables about all sorts of things, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reality we see in Jesus. We see Jesus understanding nature and understanding what it is to have a a day of physically hard work, working hard with his father, probably learning his father's trade. 
being sharpened and polished and sharpened and polished, but being hidden while his father is preparing him. Nobody knows who he is. And of course we can ask that same question, do you despair because of your hiddenness? Do you feel like God is, has prepared you through, through life experiences for something big, but you haven't gone anywhere? just seems pointless. It just seems my life goes on day after day. Nothing changes. It's just day in, day out, and I don't ever achieve anything, especially something for God. You know, if you die right now, are people going to say, that was a man of God. That was a servant of Jehovah. That was a man who reached out to the people around him because he loved the gospel and he loved Jesus so much. And I'm afraid that many of us can't say that. We can't say that people will see that that's a key thing about my life. And the servant of Jehovah, if he died right there, he would have been hidden in obscurity. He would just been another poor guy dying, just like everybody else who dies. Do you have skills and talents that you think should be displayed in a big way? Notice that the servant was willing to be hidden. There's no evidence that he struggled with this, being hidden. But you'll notice also that God only releases his servant after this period of preparation in hiddenness. And that's encouraging, isn't it? That God had a specific purpose for him, and he did achieve God's purpose. Notice also in verse 3. Verse 3 says, you, He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. Now, that's a couple of interesting things in this verse. One is, You are my servant, Israel. We'll talk about Israel in a moment, why he calls him Israel. But in whom I will display my splendor. Now, for 30 years, you answer this question in your mind. It's just a yes or no question, okay? For 30 years, has God displayed his splendor in the servant of Jehovah? He's like preparing, preparing. For three decades, he's been preparing from being a baby. And now he's a 30-year-old man, and he's been prepared all of this time. And God is saying, in you I'll display my splendor. What are you expecting when God displays his splendor? You're expecting something great. God speaks and a universe comes into existence. That's the glory, the splendor of God. And now God is saying, I will display my splendor through you. And we see nothing. We see nothing happen. Nothing is taking place. It's, it's silent. It's this ordinary guy being prepared and prepared and prepared. But nothing's happening. He has three wonderful years of ministry. He goes around relieving the misery, misery of the people around him. He preaches the gospel. He glorifies God. Yes, while he's preaching. He's accomplishing his mission. But it's a hard mission because it's demanding on him physically and mentally and emotionally. And if, if your mind has disappeared and you've lost track of me, now's a good time to come back. Because this is a moment, this is such a personal moment in these four verses. As we read the first half of verse 4, where he says, But, I said, I have labored 
to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. If these words were not in the Bible, I would find it very hard to believe that these are the inner thoughts of our great Lord Jesus Christ. Why would God put these words in the Bible, the inner, most intimate thinking processes of our Lord Jesus? I mean, you can see it. He's called by God. He's named by God. He has purpose. It's an intimate, personal purpose. He has been prepared for 30 years. Year after year, through all of the the myriad of things that he went through to be prepared to be the servant of Jehovah. And he's hidden through all of those years. And then we see him coming onto the stage of history, as it were, when he comes into his public ministry and he begins to speak. And the crowds begin to follow him. And they hear what he's got to say. But it's not long. And the servant is being dragged through the streets of Jerusalem in blood-soaked garments, in agony and shame. In you I will display my splendor. And there he is, being dragged through the streets, in this terrible, terrible state. The crowds that loved him, and that were hanging on him for everything, for the bread and the fish, and all of the words, remember they said no one ever spoke the way this man does. The Lord made his mouth into a sharpened sword when God released him onto the stage of history for his public ministry. He was completely prepared. Now they're dragging him through the streets and the crowds that loved him, they curse him and they mock him and they just fail to understand. They can't see it. They can't see who this is. Remember even even the disciples on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus appears to them, the risen Christ appears to them on the road. And they say to him, don't you know what's going on in Jerusalem? Don't you know? And he says, no, what things have happened in Jerusalem? And they start explaining that Jesus was among them. And they thought that he was going to accomplish all these great things. But now they crucified him. And even for the great servant of Jehovah, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says... It just seems that after all of this hype, being called by God, being named by God, being prepared by God, being hidden for so many years, coming out into this public ministry that's so short, so few faithful disciples are now going to the cross, going to my own death. It just seems, it just doesn't seem that the splendor of God has been revealed in my life doesn't seem like anything really happened. It just seems a bit pointless. It seems that I've spent my strength. I've been going day after day and I've been getting hungry and tired and weary. But I've just kept going on and on and on and on and on. And it just seems that that was all for nothing. You can understand that. In a fallen world, I don't think there's one person who cannot understand what that's like. To spend your strength in vain, it just seems pointless. Your whole life just seems pointless. You haven't achieved anything. And if the Lord Jesus Christ, if the great servant of Jehovah can get to a point where he feels that, enough that God writes this, these inner, these very, very um, intimate and personal thoughts in the text of Scripture, they're there for us to read and say, wow, he was made like his brothers in every way. I'm just like that. I feel that sense of failure. I feel like I failed. 
His mission feels like a failure. Not even a single person, one of those crowds that he fed or healed, not one single person stands up for him at his trial and vouches for him. Not one. It seems like he must succeed where Israel fails, the nation of Israel fails. And the burden of God's entire agenda is on his shoulders and it just feels like he hasn't accomplished it. He's going to die. It just seems that this whole mission that the Father has sent him on is too slow. It's not achieving its purpose quickly enough. It's too small. We're not seeing the splendor of God coming out of this. You can imagine the servant of Jehovah feeling disappointment, failure, frustration, defeat, when it just seems that this whole mission is coming to failure. And it's interesting when he says um, in verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant Israel. I'm sure you guys can see exactly where I'm going with this. Say, I'll just one comment. Why does he say, you are my servant Israel? And what does Israel even mean? Why did God call Jacob Israel? Israel means he who struggles with God. You are my servant Israel. You are my servant who struggles with God. In whom I will display my splendor. Suddenly it all makes sense. You know, God knows this whole part of his servant's mission. He's he's obviously going to struggle. It's going to be so real for him, so human, that he's going to struggle with God, just like Jacob at the river was wrestling with God until daybreak. And here we see him struggling, disappointment, failure, frustration, defeat. Struggling. Father, what is happening? And even on the cross, as he's dying, remember, he's calling out, My God, my God. He's struggling. It's it's a struggle for him in his human state. The humanity of Christ is a beautiful thing. It encourages us, doesn't it? If Jesus, the great Son of God, experiences this, how much more will we experience this? And wonderfully, this text doesn't just end on that note. And I just want to say that as I'm preaching these four verses, this is not the whole song. This is not the whole servant song. I'm just this is just the first section. So I'm I'm encouraging you to keep reading, you know, to see what God said about the servant after this. But I'm going to finish here at verse 4. He says in verse 4b, at the end of verse 4, Yet, (laughs) let's connect them. Verse 4a, But I said, I've labored to no purpose. I've spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet, verse 4b, yet, there's something different. There's there's something else here. That's not the whole picture, is it? Yet, What is due me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. So even though he's saying it seems pointless, it just seems like it's all come to nothing, I believe this one thing. And this is where the glory of God is revealed in this whole uh, exchange. He is stripped of family and friends. He's stripped of reputation. He's stripped of ministry. He's naked and he's bleeding in absolute darkness, but still he trusts his God. Against the worst odds, he's dying. It literally seems like his mission is coming to an end because he's busy dying and he's saying, but I trust my God. My God's going to display his splendor in me. 
Somehow this is, he's going to work this out. I have a purpose and I'm fulfilling my purpose and God's going to work this out. Even though God is crushing him as an enemy, he calls God his father. How hard is it for us in this world when we begin to suffer? How many people have told me in counseling when they've begun to suffer that I'm angry with God? But for the servant of Jehovah, he's hanging there, dying on the cross. I mean, how much greater suffering could there be? And while he's hanging there, bleeding with the nails in his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns on his brow, he's trusting his father. He's trusting his God because this is part of the mission, obviously. He will do anything it takes. And here's my point here. This is the wonderful thing. Is that faith in the servant of Jehovah grew... It grew to this point through the ordinary life of training. It was the training as a little baby. Just, just developing character as a baby. Growing up as a little child and responding in a godly way to all of the difficulty and suffering. That faith, that character in the servant of Jehovah was growing and growing and growing through every life experience, living in his family with his unbelieving brothers who probably mocked him like they did when they said, aren't you going to Jerusalem? You know, if you want to become a public figure, you should do the Google Ads thing. You know, you should go to Jerusalem and put yourself on a big stage. And he said, my time has not yet come. Growing with those people, growing under a mother and father who were not yet glorified, sinful parents who just did what they thought was best for him. And that's not always the right thing, is it? We don't always get it right as parents, do we? Grew, growing and growing and growing through working in the carpenter shop and working hard with his hands, having a long day's work and sometimes working hard on something and it doesn't turn out and you've got to start again. Or you cut a piece of wood in the wrong place and you've got to fix it. And eventually that life, that whole life of ordinary preparation, sharpening, Polishing, sharpening, polishing, sharpening, polishing. Comes to the point where his very life is being crushed out of him by his own father. But he still clings to his father in trust. That is the most beautiful thing. That is the most beautiful demonstration of the splendor of God ever in this world. He's a bleeding, dying son being crushed in the hand of his father, but he still trusts his father. How do we grow through ordinary life training like the servant of Jehovah? You know, how, we get, how are you and I going to get to the point where when, when things get really difficult, and when I say things get really difficult, it doesn't mean it have to be some crisis. I mean, just the ability to carry on day after day, getting out of bed early before the sun is up, trying to find a taxi to get to your place of work, or two or three taxis, and a bus or a train, or walking. How are you going to just keep going through those ordinary experiences? That is training. It's moment after moment. God is training you as he trained the servant of Jehovah. If you're a true child of God, you are called. You are called by God. Remember Romans 8.30 tells us we're called. Before you were born, he named you. He's named you. He knows your name. You are being prepared through all of these difficult life situations that God has put you in. God has hidden you. That's part of his glorious plan, to, to make you a hidden instrument in his hand. 
God is not a hard and cruel God. I'd like to encourage you, as the servant of Jehovah did, remember when he was 12 years old, feasting on the word of God in the temple with those, those elders, you know, the, the, the Pharisees in the temple and teachers of the law, and he was amazing them. Fall in love with the text of Scripture and depend on the God that Scripture puts before your eyes is beautiful. Love and faithfulness in your relationships with friends, even at this church, going out of your way, loving other people, intentionally loving other people, learning, being sharpened, being polished, bit by bit, every conversation, every time you phone somebody to ask them how they're doing, you WhatsApp somebody and ask them if you can help them with this or that, that you know they need help with. Every little opportunity that you go into that's not pleasant or convenient, but you're being trained and sharpened and made beautiful, being prepared, and God is going to display His splendor through you. Faithful commitment in ordinary service teams in the church, just serving the body. That's how the servant of Jehovah grew up. Ordinary life. Applying himself well in a godly way and faithfully to ordinary life, hidden, until God displayed his splendor through him. So just in conclusion, we say the servant of Jehovah, Jesus, he was called, he was named, he was prepared, he was hidden, and he was promised great glory. Yet he struggled with a sense of failure when he looked at all of the ordinariness of his life and his accomplishments. Yet even though he had the sense of failure, he maintained his faithful dependence on his father and, though, and through a life that seemed ordinary and purposeless, God brought about the greatest and most glorious victory that this world has ever seen. Like the servant of Jehovah, you Christian have been called, you've been named, you've been prepared, you've been hidden and you've received glorious promises. You too will be likely to experience a sense of failure. How many of us don't experience a sense of failure? Yet like the servant of Jehovah, God will accomplish his purposes in you through faithfulness in ordinary life. Lord, thank you that again we can just stop and think about this beautiful, beautiful servant that you have revealed, you've unveiled in the book of Isaiah. Lord, we see the servant who failed, the whole of Israel, the whole nation who failed to accomplish the purpose that you sent her for. What a sad reality. But Lord, thank you that you sent that one man, the great servant of Jehovah, who stood tall in his hiddenness. You polished him and you made him beautiful. And he was submissive and humble and faithful. And Lord, thank you that that training was sufficient for him, that ordinary faithfulness in ordinary life prepared him for beautiful, beautiful work. And now here in Pretoria West Bible Church, here we are as a fruit of what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished. Because of his faithfulness, God is displaying his splendor in a worldwide church that is growing and growing and growing and coming to love you and you are displaying your splendor. Lord, thank you for these things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Thanks, guys.